Gaming on the Frontier. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of putting another person's intellectual property with Fringeworthy and finding out that video games are just another way of creating adventures. It's all good. It's all it's all uh, adventure ideas and settings and less work for you. <laughs> okay. Again, welcome to Gaming on the Frontier. This week we are talking about adding Fringeworthy to Mass Effect. Or is it Mass Effect to Fringeworthy? It's just kind of both, you know. And uh, this goes along with many of our other uh, episodes of that, uh, adding Skyrim uh, to Fringeworthy, adding Fallout to Fringeworthy, adding Pokemon to Fringeworthy. Uh, just go ahead and uh, look that up on our Podbean uh, site. Just type it into the search window and you'll find all those types of, of things. But what we really are talking about is the fact that since Fringeworthy as a game system incorporates all possible Earths and many other worlds as well, it's quite possible to, you know, to basically be a, a Fringeworthy character and show up on a world that has, you know, whatever intellectual property you choose to to uh, use. So if you have a video game or a book or anything else that you think is the greatest thing since sliced cheese, then you certainly can play both of them together. So now the, I, I guess the big question here, uh, and I, I think, Jonathan, you're the one who's leading this right if you can handle my sick cold stuffy nose voice sure can sure sure okay so uh i guess you know uh you're going to give us the basically the for the people who don't know what mass effect is the the summarization of that or maybe we should like you know let trav do that because that way it gives your voice a little bit of a break <laughs> I can, yeah, I can help out on this one, sure. Okay, Mass Effect is a, well, I mean, there were four video games, but they started out with a trilogy. It was created by BioWare, and flat out, just from what I've been reading, it's considered one of the best role-playing games, video games out there. And the general premise is that in 2148, after humanity, after all its wars, decides, hey, let's get our act together and start acting like, you know, civilized beings. So they create the Alliance, which is basically, you know, a, a, a hyped up version of the UN. They get into space exploration and say, OK, let's check out our system. They get to Mars and they find an ancient set of ancient alien ruins buried there of a spacefaring civilization now long gone calling themselves the Protheans. Now, apparently they were around when humanity was still in the caves, hiding from the sun, as they say in Chasing Amy. They found information and resources to go to space travel and build new things and upgrade their science and technology. And they also found a unique element called Element Zero, which ended up being abbreviated as ESO. Now, when subjected to electrical current, you could either increase or decrease the mass of an object 
that has EZO in it. And it's everything from, let's see, positive current increases mass, negative current decreases it. So everything from artificial gravity to manufacturing high-strength construction materials, FTL flight, without causing time dilation. Needless to say, this opened a whole new avenue to further explore the system, and they did. And they found out that Pluto's moon Charon was not, in fact, a moon, but something known as a mass relay, which is like a gate network. And from there, humanity just went out into the galaxy and started exploring rather willy-nilly, just, hey, here's another relay, go through. Right. Well, so the the uh, the mass relay allowed you to jump, you know, thousands of light years rather than just, you know, go really, really fast, you know, inside the, the solar system. It was essentially the warp capability. Yeah, they had very, very basic rudimentary fast and light travel before they found the relay. But yeah, once they found that, then the whole galaxy opened up to them. Yeah, well, you kind of you kind of needed it in order to find the relay because you know Pluto's pretty far out. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and and I looked at the stats for the ships, and I mean, just their normal FTL flight, it's like one light year every two hours on some of the bigger ships. That that's it's you know, I mean, it's fast, one light year in two hours, but still, you get into the mass relays and for what i'm seeing it's almost like instantaneous travel right well i mean alpha centauri which is supposed to be the uh the the closest star system to earth okay is approximately four uh light years away so you can get there in a day so that's pretty amazing considering the fact that we spent the last century just basically going gee it'd be really nice if we could get there within a couple of centuries It'd be nice if we could get there in someone's lifespan. Yeah. What it is, these mass relays, it's a network across the galaxy create that creates mass-free corridors between them. Now, if you employ this mass effect to a starship, ships zip right through from one relay to another, like blowing a feather in the wind. And this happened, they found this relay set up a year after they found the Prothean ruins with the cache of technology and the, the, the deposit of Ezo. And of course, trouble ensues. They start stepping in on territories that they didn't know, because they weren't checking what was on that past the next relay. They bump into a race, and of course, you know how we humans are. If we don't understand something, we attack it. Right, right. Okay. Well, in this yeah. case, they attacked us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, before we get to that, okay, yeah. uh, I, I wanted to just get the, the basic idea of, of what this game is. So, yeah. you know, essentially it's Earth, you know, or the uh, uh, Tellurus uh, Alliance, which is basically every, you know, entity within the solar system uh, being able to, getting together and then going out and joining the uh, the Galactic Confederation. So, uh, and... And the events that take place in the video games basically take place about 35 years after that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and um, because essentially, you know, the, the, the main character, Shepard, is our, you know, uh, is the person that we represent. And um, uh, Shepard, whether it's a he or a she, you get to choose, uh, is around... 30 years of age when this happens it's you know it happens around uh, like 2183 so and uh anyways the, the uh and and when when uh, uh shepherd gets assigned to the normandy all right so there's a lot of things that happened before that so when we talk about you know games like you know uh you know, adding a, an intellectual property to, you know, Fringeworthy, we always have to ask, where are we stepping in, okay, uh, to the storyline? 
because you know you don't have to come in at the end you could come in at the very in the, in the very early section okay um and anywhere in between because there's a there's very there's various rebellions there's the whole issue of 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 uh uh element zero uh causing mutations amongst earth children uh which turns out to be a good thing except you know for except for the 90 percent of the ones that don't don't turn out so well uh um, yeah yeah but the point is is that you know you you have this so uh therefore you as a as a gm can decide where in this storyline you want to step into the the adventure or the or the adventure steps into you because for example you know there are people on you know um you, know, you don't have to play it as fringeworthy going to the mass effect universe it could be the mass effect universe coming into fringeworthy could be that there's a portal there could you know a, a ring station on one of these worlds and then you you know and somebody who's friends where he discovers it steps through so in addition to this storyline you have this this special group of people who are all from the mass effect universe okay who are then now going and going to explore the fringe pass with all the goodness that comes from that particular game system and uh, you know, but you know, before that happens, you you as the GM have to make a very important decision, which is: is this a world that just happens to have all of the intellectual properties, you know, uh, of the Mass Effect universe? Okay, you know, wherever point you step in, it basically can diverge from the storyline you know you're you know uh, uh when the friends really come it's going to it, it could change some things okay and uh and you're just using those resources you know as resources to make an interesting universe for them to explore or is it what john ryer referred to as a story verse where yeah. when you come into the world the universe basically says oh you go right here and they plug you into the storyline, and the only way for you to escape back out of this, this the, the you know back onto the fringe pass is for you to in some way continue to progress the storyline or complete some task that's part of the storyline, and then the universe might let you go. Okay, so it's uh, like one of the Termelon. Uh theme park worlds, entertainment worlds. Right. So uh, so that's a big decision that has to be made by the GM, whether it's story-verse or just happens to be a universe that has these elements in it just, just by coincidence. You know, you know mind-boggling, outrageous coincidence, but there you are. <laughs> well, well, usually we've been saying in the past that, and how you explain, well, how do you explain that there's, you know, Pokemon World and Star Wars and Star Trek and all that, that we did explain back in the past that, at least for Earth Prime and maybe for other Earths, basically these ideas travel through the multiverse into the mind of the person that quote-unquote created it. So, and of course, I think we also said that that person will never be fringeworthy, as in they don't get to see their creation as actually a world. Because, yeah, that would break the person. But, yeah, that's how I remember we usually said it here on the podcast, that these worlds, that the ideas just flow through the fringe paths. We never really said how, but... Well, you know, every, every world, you know, diverges at some point. 
Okay. Yeah. From, you know, and so the one we call Earth is just one diversion path. There could yeah. be another diversion path. And if someone writes a good story, you know, based upon Earth, like which Mass Effect is, then uh, it's quite, and as long as the universe supports the physical changes of laws that are necessary for, for things like a Mass Effect to, to exist, then. Uh, then you can get a world that's basically exactly like Mass Effect, okay? Uh, it's and and that's that's why I'm saying is this is a universe that contains elements that are you know of the Mass Effect you know that that line up to the Mass Effect intellectual property, but it doesn't have to be exactly, especially if the GM doesn't want it to. Okay, the other alternative is where you're literally going into a universe that exists to tell this story, at which point. You're you're in you're plugged into the story and you're stuck in the story uh, until either you you are given an out, okay, or you're the you get to the end, you know, with the reavers and everything else. So I mean, those are your two options. There's really no third option available to you. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, I mean, the third option is you're actually in a virtual reality. You know, and it and somewhere somebody basically programmed it with a video game. You know, it, it, someone had it in their equipment. You know, it got read by something, and then the next time you go through the portal, suddenly you're in Mass Effect universe. Okay, but essentially that's just a, 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 a oh, a, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the word I want. But anyways, that's just, that's just another way of doing it. I mean, it's still oh, the, you're really still in the same position. You know, if if, if it makes no difference, it, it is no difference. Okay, you know, whether you're an existing universe uh, uh, or, uh, you know, that actually exists or whether your mind thinks you're in a universe that's actually just a construct. You know, it doesn't make any difference because your mind is reacting to it you know, and, and, and when it's all over said and done with, I guess the only real question is, can you take any parts, any pieces from that construct back out onto the fringe pass with you? So, yeah, that's... Mm, yeah. Okay, so... I'm definitely going to steal that idea, though. I'm going to have a theme park world that will read whatever video game media you have on you and make a world based on it just for you. Because lots of people have games like that on their phones and such, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, zo Zombie Trucker. I want to see that one. <laughs> what was that that what was that that randy jackson used to say on american owl that'd be a no for me dog yeah <laughs> i mean you come you basically go through the portal and all of a sudden you hear brum brum you know and then you know just barely drowning out the moaning coming you know and you go out and you see that there's these, these zombies massing outside this very firm looking gate with these big pistons to push it open and there's this big truck sitting there throbbing, you know, with the engine going, waiting for someone to get in and put the pedal to the metal. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, usually, folks, what we do, and you know kind of the, how we go, if you've been listening to this very long-going series that we have here in Gaming the Frontier, is that I have printed out all of the Portals books and set them up where it is the guide, Portals 1 is in the center of it, then Portals 2, and then I printed out 3 and 4. And I usually pick a world, either a prime or an alt, to place this intellectual property on based on what is in the blurb that Rich originally wrote. So I'm getting my information from Mass Effect. Somebody a few years ago, made what is called a netbook. Now, for tabletop role players, basically, they 
throw together game rules, put it on a PDF, and just distribute it out on the internet for, okay, for S&G, I made this Mass Effect PDF at a whopping 540 pages, which means this person was a real fan of the game and put a lot of work into it. And so, yeah, that, that I have it here, and I gave it to Messrs. Sheffer and Thomas. And so what how I chose for Mass Effect to go on negative 88,8 is this blurb for the entry for Earth. The homeworld and capital of humanity is entering a new golden age. The resource wealth of a dozen settled colonies and a hundred industrial outposts flows back to Earth, fueling great works of industry, commerce, and art. The great cities are greening as arcology, skyscrapers, and telecommuting allow more efficient use of land. Earth is still divided among nation-states, though all are affiliated beneath the overarching banner of the Systems Alliance. While every human enjoys longer life, longer and better life than ever, the gap between rich and poor widens daily. Advanced nations have eliminated most genetic disease and pollution, Less fortunate regions have not progressed beyond 20th century technology and are often smog-choked, overpopulated slums. Okay, based on that, that is why I chose negative 88,8 mile spires. Amazing mile-high buildings that are built over the ruins of the old cities. The people live in the upper levels and enjoy wealth and opulence. At this rotting core, the have-nots are those who will not accept the government-sponsored control and dole. They live in the shadow world and wait for the angels, quote-unquote, to come down to hell robotics are rampant in the sky towers and people yeah pretty much i said yeah that's a good place to put mass effect because of the fact that there is still a wealth disparity despite all of the technology and science that prothean technology has given humanity so i mean again your mileage vary you find a world that it fits to put on primer all throw it there that's just me it's in the big blue binder you've heard me and pixie talk about this for years now so yeah, that is where I put the Mass Effect world if I were to use it in a game. Also with, again, Fringeworthy D20 being the most recent official edition of Fringeworthy, I still go by OGL standards for that. Easily, Mass Effect would be PL7 Gravity Age technology, where you have robotics oh, yeah. and hyperspace travel and gate networks. And because remember, these mass relays are from a long dead society with much higher technology. You know that humanity or probably most of the uh, races in the Citadel have no idea how to, if a, if a relay station goes down, they have no idea how to fix it. They just know how to use it. So I would say PL7 approaching PL8 would be the tech level I would give this to fit in with Fringeworthy D20 because they still use the progress levels from the modern and future OGL SRDs. So, so yeah, having having read that and seeing that little blurb that I just read, I said, yep, I I would put it there. So again, your mileage may vary. Okay, so that puts them on our side of the Coptics, then, doesn't? Yeah. Yes, it because does. The Coptics, yes, the Coptics come from the negative side of the portals. Yes. Right. They're around negative uh, one twenty four. Yeah. 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 Especially if you do what I did, which was draw a line at the portal that was uh, for uh, uh, oh uh, Beirut, and uh, said you're not going any further. We're using the power of the gods and and Faerun to keep you back. And at which point they could only spread in the opposite direction. Yeah, yeah. And how did that plan work out again, Bruce? It worked out very well, actually. <laughs> it just took a long hmm? time. <laughs> There were lots of other ways they could have gone, but eventually the gods basically said, okay, you, you know, you're staying back. So, yeah. Fine, we'll help you guys out. Well, there was actually one particular god that was presumed dead, but turned out not to be dead. And uh, as an act of uh, support for her one cleric <laughs> who really, really, really wanted this to happen, 
uh, she decided to uh, put basically down a, a, a shrine in the middle of the platform so that any uh, a, any Coptic that tried to come into the the alternate platform would just get uh, either just shoved back through or just fried or something, you know. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, just uh, basically he says, you shall not pass kind of scenario. Yep. With the power of a deity, so, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, as we know, uh, deities can exude themselves onto the fringe map, uh, at least within the nodes. Yeah. So, uh, anyways. Mm, yeah. And this, they, they was coming from the prime, because uh, yeah. uh, Rune is a prime on that particular node. Okay, um, and then again, for those of you who don't know anything about Fringeworthy we've been talking about, it's a game of interdimensional exploration, and please go online and look about it. But essentially, there's this ancient network of uh, portals on platforms that are connected by roadways, and it's kind of like uh, paper dolls where each node is its own little entity. They're connected right and left in a big, long string. And uh, so, you know, each uh, each one of those basically shares, uh, the node shares the reality of what's called the prime platform that goes to the prime world. And then there's also uh, once other portals to the solar system of the prime and star system of the prime. So, you know, that's all you really need to know. And so these Coptics were coming from other nodes, trying to work their way ever further down toward Earth Prime. And of course, Earth Prime does not want to get into a protract protracted war against an entity that is far more warlike than Earth is at present. <laughs> so, you know, because then everybody gets, everybody's warlike after that. Uh, and there's a lot of that actually in Mass Effect, uh, where uh, people who wanted nothing more than to live their lives simply and you know uh you know and, and peacefully are are swept up into this galactic conflict so but that's something that jonathan is going to have to tell us about well yeah there are the, looking at it there are a lot of um parallel ideas and tropes between fringeworthy and mass effect you've got ancient alien transport network um you've got uh, numerous races all mostly working together to use this network to explore and expand and collect resources. Um, you have a huge threat that uses this network to its own advantage. Um, in Mass Effect, you have the Reapers, and Fringeworthy, you have either the the Mellow or the, uh, the Coptics or whatever other late-game big bad you have. Um, so it's... if if you're looking to kind of have that fringeworthy experience, but take it into a little bit more confined one world setting, Mass Effect would be a good, oh, yeah. you know, replacement or substitution. Um, well, it certainly would be uh, worthy of a mini campaign, mm -hmm. you know, because it, depending upon what part time lot, part of the timeline of fringeworthy you jump into this world, you would have more or less technology. Because, you know, if you come in early, then, of course, everybody is going to be high-tech compared to you. Oh, yeah. You're going to be stealing, still dealing with that, you know, 20th century, 21st century ballistic weapons. Right. Firing 16 rounds while you're up against, you know, aliens using Mass Effect guns that can shoot a, a seemingly infinite amount of, you know, metallic shards at you at near light speed. Right, and then if you come in in the middle, then you've got you know you, you you've got a, a a fair amount of 
of of super high tech stuff that's probably advanced even on the Mass Effect, but it's it's limited in supply. Okay, uh, you know how the French path works, and so you can use that that technology, you know, the, those uh, qualities to maybe give you an edge, okay? But if you come in at the late game where essentially you can have uh, cyber tech, you can have uh, lots of, uh, ad, you know, harvested advanced tech, uh, dock boxes, uh, all kinds of things, you know, uh, sentient helper races, uh, then you are, you are equal to, if not advanced, on the uh, people of the Mass Effect universe. Yeah, the, the, there'll be an equal, at least of, of level, if not exact details. Like, you know, because the physics of the Mass Effect universe allow for, you know, the this element zero, which may or may not exist throughout the entire, you know, fringeworthy network, but mm -hmm. yeah. It may know. not exist outside their universe at all. Exactly, but hey, you know, the Tremellern figured out their own gravity manipulation techniques that seem to work everywhere. Right. But the point here is is that, uh, you know, you can, if, if you're in the late campaign, then when you walk through and you start hearing about this stuff, it may be a little confusing at first, but as soon as you see a tech readout, as soon as you start, you read any kind of a background, your mind is ready to absorb that information and start leveraging it for your own use in that universe. So you're not going to basically mm -hmm. have to have some smarter person tell you about how to use equipment. You know, you just basically need someone to show you once and bam, you're, you know, you're, you got it going. Oh, so, like, oh then, that's just like this thing from alternate 824. Right. You know, oh yeah, we, we have things that basically phase through matter. No problem. Or maybe, maybe they don't have things that phase through matter and you do and oh, you know, uh, now there is a big question here, which is because you're coming from a multi-universe, you know, is, you know, what, you know, does supernatural work on this, in this universe? What do you think, Jonathan? Overall, based just off the, the fact that this is a science fiction role-playing game, the only supernatural elements that I can see, and, and one of them has a definitive scientific at least scientific in this universe explanation is you know, what they call biotics, but any of the rest of us would call psionics. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just that instead of using pure human thought to alter reality, they're using mutations of organic flesh to manipulate gravity. So that is one thing is all the biotics on this world has to do with like spatial manipulation and gravity manipulation. But that's still that that could be just psionic and and psionics from what we've already said pretty much work on like ninety nine percent of the nodes out there. I would and, say I would treat it as like a subset of psionics. Yeah. It would be you know a very focused version of psionics, so that you when you come across a uh, when you come across a, a a truly psionic like French path traveler, you know they're like, how do you do the bionics can't do that. Uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> same uh, principle, just you know. Not all realities are the same. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm I'm looking at some of the what they call biotic specializations here. We got things like annihilation field, barrier, biotic charge, biotic enhancement, which boosts your stats up, biotic kinesis, right? Biotic biotic nova. Jeez. Yeah. 
But see, the thing is, they're all based upon a physical mutation that's specific to this biotic thing. Right. They're they're specifically all you know affecting that element zero. Right. But if you were to go through, you know, and uh, and, and go to the world, and you had psionic powers, okay, your powers would probably still work, but you wouldn't be yeah. able to get, you know. Uh, exposed to element zero and suddenly start developing biotic powers. You know, they would have biotic powers. You would have psionics. They wouldn't be able to do the same things. Like for example, is, is there a, is there a biotic telepathy? Not specific. There, there are a few races that do appear to be able to communicate with very, very weak telepathy. Like, uh, the main, one of the main character, uh, main characters, um, Liara, can read your thoughts and, and memories if she's, you know, touching your head. Oh, the Asari. Yeah, yeah the Asari yeah, yeah. do seem to have some low-level telepathy, but she's not like she can send you a message from far away. Right, okay, so that's what I'm saying, is that there's probably powers that people who are fringe-worthy might have that aren't, don't, that uh, they don't, ex they don't exist in this universe because biotic cellular development didn't produce those powers it doesn't mean they can't work in the universe right. it right. just means that the, the the thing that would have caused it is different so you know but it's still supported by you know the uh you know by the universe itself so you can still have both of going and uh, so you're saying that you don't think that magic would would work in this universe i would say no because the only other thing in the uh, Mass Effect universe that seems to be uh, unexplainable by science is the, and by the way, if we haven't already mentioned it, spoilers are going to be in this episode. Um, yeah, it's kind of hard to talk about it without spoilers. Exactly. Right, yeah. But um, the big, bad, e evil villains of the series, the Reapers. <gasps> um, Not the Reaper! We're supposed <laughs> to fear the Reaper, right? Well, according to Blue Oyster Cult. Um, yeah. You know, you're supposed to fear the Reaper. Fear oh, the Reapers. Okay. All right. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> They uh, uh, have the ability to slowly brainwash or it seemingly organic or even inorganic life forms. Uh, and there's no real explanation given in any of the series, although they kind of hint that it might be some kind of strange energy field or some form of extremely, you know, well-hidden nanobots or a combination. It's, it's unknown how the Reapers can do this, what they call indoctrination effect. But... Being around these creatures or, well, yeah, these entities long enough will, you know, twist your mind into serving them. Oh, well, that's why, that's why everyone's suspicious of Shepard. Yeah. And so it's kind of hard. And it, by, like I said, it's, there's no explanation or like definitive explanation given as far as I've been able, ever, ever able to tell. But it's implied that it must be some scientific, you know, natural law, so to speak, that they just haven't figured out yet but again it's there's like so between those two biotics and indoctrination those are like the only seemingly supernatural um instances in the in the in the universe and so yeah i wouldn't say magic would work at all unless you know you as a gm want to have you know at least indoctrination be a magical effect and the, these super powerful ai machines are the only ones who have figured it out but in general, I would say, nah, this is this is sci-fi. This is supposed to be metal and, and steel and, and starships. So pro I would, if I was running out, I probably wouldn't have magic work on the Mass Effect universe. Okay, that's fair. 
All right, so that's fine. Uh, because, you know, there's there's actually three types of things here. You've got the, uh, you've got the mass effect science, you know, in biology. You've got the fringe-worthy uh, alternate universe psionics and things like that. And then you've got all the Tamalern super science that's also available that basically breaks the rules and they're like, ha, who cares? It's super science. We can say whatever we want. <laughs> This is the science that beats the other science up and takes its lunch money. Yeah, it's basically saying is that you can't do that. That breaks the laws of physics. Oh, oh it, shh, it doesn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> it wrote the laws of physics, what you talk about. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it, that's usually the thing is, you know, when you're talking about the, the Termellon tech or you know old Commonwealth tech, yeah, it's whatever the story needs at this moment. Right. Right. But anyways, but I mean, tech is important. Uh, and believe me, the people who did this book, they care about tech. <laughs> Holy, I mean, there's like four, I mean, of the the 540 pages, like 400 it is about tech. You know, this, you know, the equipment and other things like that. <coughs> Skill trees, you name yeah. it's, it's supposed to be based on D20. Okay, but this is uh, this is this like saying that um, uh, you know D twenty D and D is like first edition A D and D. Okay, <laughs> it's like they're they're vastly different. They do have some similarities. Okay, and I frankly feel like they they they, they essentially said let's look at all the systems out there and let's just crib from all of them because I know that some of their feats. That they're using a straight out of Savage World. Okay, they have feet trees. They've got skill trees. They've got you know uh, they got extra you know they, they got extra points for this and extra points for that. Oh yeah, the Renegade and Paragon points. That's how they determine alignment. Yeah, I'm just saying though is that they have yeah. you know, they have all these ways of pushing you down you know this path or that path or whatever and you know so that. Which is like none of that's in in basic D twenty, okay. Uh, so you end up you you can end up with a lot of differentiation between characters, which is a good thing, all right. But it also means it's very complicated to do, and um, I don't know whether min maxers are, are going to scream at how complicated it is or love it to death because of how complicated it is. There's so well, many ways. Yeah, the good thing about OGL is that, I mean, look how much mutants and masterminds change. For It's still an OGL game, but Steve Kenson and the people at Green Ronin, just they went on their own path. They made it to where now your score is the modifier. So you wouldn't have a 15 strength. Your strength would be a plus two. And they just totally adapt and change things even though the third edition is still considered the part of the OGL license. So yeah, if you take the OGL license and, and run with it, you can do all sorts of things with it, and but you'll did. still see. Yeah. And you'll still see, okay, I see it's based on OGL. And then they took this shot off in the right field. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they still have saving throws, you know, your strength still does give those bonuses plus one, plus two, plus three, plus four. But I'm just saying is that advancement and all the other things having to do with, with combat skills and things like that, you're it's it's a far divergent from just you know the basic D twenty. Yeah, uh, and I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm just simply saying this is that it is complicated. 
he's a chunky boy. He's a lot of chunky rules. Yeah. This is not what you call a rules light game. This is a very. This is a very. Uh, because uh, for those of you who don't know the terms crunch and fluff, fluff is it's more story based. Crunch, no, very rules based. Right. I mean, yeah, it gives enough backstory, and it seems to merge the crunch and the fluff very well. I think so. Uh, yeah. And one of the big benefits from all this is is that two people could be using the same piece of equipment, but one person is going to get spent new, is going to basically unlock, if I may use that term, uh, yeah. special abilities in that piece of equipment that the other person can't do because they're not that far down the specialization tree to, oh, yeah. to be able to use that equipment like, the, like they'd want to. You know, and there's just... A lot of stuff in there, and I'm just—I looked at it and I said, "Wow, you know, I, uh, you know, this is this is already an hour to two hour job <laughs> doing that." Now you could totally—I mean, you—you uh, you know, you could just leave this entirely in the province of the GM because if if you're playing it from the side of beer of, of Fringeworthy, playing on the D20 or whatever your favorite rule system is, okay, it's the GM's job to figure out what you would have access to when you went through. Most of the highly advanced parts of the, you know, the uh, specialized parts skills that we were just talking about probably would not be available to explorers because they did they just don't have that familiarity with those pieces of equipment. So they would be bringing to the table their own fringe equipment that would be something they these other people have no uh, skill with and and which is one of the reasons why I would be tempted to put it more toward the uh, either the very early part or the very uh, very late campaign and, and fringeworthy. Yeah. Okay, not necessarily the time you know uh, early in the in the uh, Mass Effect timeline where they haven't had a lot of access to a lot of stuff, which would kind of give you a lot of parity with the low level early fringeworthy you know uh, adventures, or you know bring them in you know once they they get well established in the international community where all this stuff would be available, bring in the late campaign. I don't really see the middle campaign really being in here, but if you play the game long enough, then your characters are going to work their way through, you know, and the GM may very well decide if they are playing D20 Modern, uh, as you know, which is the latest release of uh, Fringeworthy, uh, official release of Fringeworthy, uh, they might very well say, well, okay, since we have this, we'll just let you take those specializations out the Mass Effect world and uh, proceed from that point on. So it's, uh, you know, the GM's going to be really involved in this if they want to go that route, especially a campaign kind of thing. If you want it to be short, then no, the, the you know, the, the people in the Mass Effect world, I think, would be very involved with their own specializations and you would be bringing the awesome from the fringe pass with, you know, yep. to, to kind of make it even, you know, so everybody has spotlight. Everybody has a chance to be awesome. So yeah. um, there is something I have noticed here on page 265 of that PDF. And they do this speaking of early and late campaign and technology access, Bruce, it is equipment and ME timeline. Now, the, the equipment that is listed in this, again, netbook, and again, if you're familiar with, with file sharing and all that, a netbook is just 
a role-playing book that somebody makes free and just distributes it because they want to, often with a disclaimer saying, I'm not looking for money, don't come and sue me, you know, type of thing. But they have the equipment Emmy timeline. All the equipment in this book is, is after the events of Mass Effect 2. And they have various rules stating, okay, these weapons, if you're playing before Mass Effect 2, then these weapons can't do this, 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 and this. And yeah, there, there's quite a there one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different bullet points about, excuse me, what weapons and equipment can and can't because of like there's different type of cooling systems and uh, ammo grip, ammo clip increases and all that. Yeah, so that it gives was, you that variation. That was one interesting thing is, you know, they read in the actual game, they redesigned their web, uh, combat system between the first and second games and they actually address it in the game saying well yes you know after after the geth incident we we changed the basis of our weapons technology to be more efficient against uh you know numerous opponents and it's like that, that look at that dressing your own ludonarrative dissonance good boys <laughs> yes trying to program the suck out of the game yeah 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 always like in that. favor of that all right so um Okay, well, then if we're talking about that, uh, why don't we start, why don't we talk about what is the awesome that uh, Fringeworthy can bring to, you know, uh, uh, to the Mass Effect game. Uh, and, and and remind me here, uh, Tra, uh, this, is this uh, a, a prime or is this I, a... I put it on an alt based on the description. As I said, okay. negative 88 comma 8. All right, that so... means that it's going to be... You have one portal going to Earth. Yep, that's okay. it. Okay, all right, all right. So that is that is a bit of a limitation because one of the cool things that when things are set on primes are you have all these portals to all these other worlds and uh, you can literally travel. Uh, well, you can't travel faster than they can because they're literally able to travel a light year in a couple of hours. So, but I'm just saying is that they're... Uh, uh, going to portals throughout the solar system. Well, to stars. Uh, well, well, I uh, I did decide to put it on negative eighty-eight comma eight. Yeah, I did. I uh, I did have an inkling to put it on a prime. Now, there's no number for this because it's in portals three, but it's basically the last page in portals three. Let me get to the page here. It is the high tech department store prime. Or the appliance store, which it, it in the Portals 3 PDF, it'd be page 77. A vast high-tech appliance store. Every appliance here is high-tech and interactive. The only problem with pilfering this tech is getting it to the cavernous basement where the warp is. Everything is locked to the shelves, and the robotic sales staff will not take MasterCard. That is a prime. Now, granted, with how Rich did Portals 3, it was, okay, it's just Jack Schmidt, the food critic, term fringe with Explorer, stepping through one portal, and these are his notes. Which means you'd still have seven other portals that go to different places on Earth. But that is a prime. Now, if you put it on that, that kind of fits into Mass Effect 2 because you would see they have all sorts of high-tech appliances in this world now because of the technological advances. So if you wanted to put it on a prime, my opinion, I would put it on basically the last prime in the book of Portals 3. And it's just titled Apartment Store or um, appliance store so if you wanted to do a prime you could choose that because it would it, by the description it fits the mass effect world too so we could go okay what are the differences between putting it on an uh, alternate and on a prime 
because I'm using these two worlds as separate worlds as examples. So putting it on a prime would be interesting because although the because the, the the star platform has to stay within 40 light years, right? All the stars on there are within 40 light yeah. years. Yeah. So by the time Mass Effect one even starts, you know, humanity's spread well beyond that. Um, but you could still hit a few nearby, you know, human colonies, maybe find a stray alien one here or there, but well, yeah, 40 light year. Okay. On page 45 here, this PDF, it has a map of the Milky way and how it's broken up into the five areas pertinent to this game. You have earth Alliance space, inner and outer council space, the Attican traverse, and the Terminus systems. Terminus systems are basically on the opposite side of the galaxy from Earth Alliance space. Now, within 40 light years, now we we all know the Milky Way is about, about 120,000 light years across. All of these worlds that you put on the star platform would still be all in Earth Alliance space. Just Yeah, just a tiny little dot on the yeah. map. <laughs> but you could put them as various, because what did it say for Earth? Um, I could just roll a couple pages here to go back to the Earth entry. Uh, dozen settled counties and a hundred industrial outposts. Yeah, all of a sudden, all these energy signatures fire up from deep underground on on colony, Earth colony worlds all throughout Earth space. So if you want, if you were doing Mass Effect and bringing Fringeworthy into it, saying, oh, yeah, you know, we have our specters and we're going through Earth space and all of a sudden we have this reading on our Earth colony world. Wait a minute, what? All throughout the system, there's eight readings. Well, that's also the fact that, you know, assuming that these humans, this is a galaxy, not just the humans, but the galaxy itself is used to digging up what they call the Prothean ruins. Yeah. They could easily find some Termelern ring station and think oh another prothean ruin not knowing the difference well yeah and then they would start checking it out and realize okay this thing first of all is excuse me pure biotech and it's exuding the energy force of three black holes and a neutron star they would realize okay maybe this isn't prothean this is a new player to the game that's what or, we need or, more alien or, races or a pro a pre-prothean civilization yeah well yeah well, they said, let's see, the Protheans were active when humanity was in caves. The Tremelern laid out the fringe paths somewhere between 100,000, 250,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Again, it kind of depends on what time period, like, uh, as far as, like, the games are concerned, you know, what they'll think. Because certainly, like, like yeah, at the beginning of Mass Effect 1, everyone believes the, the mass relay network was built by the Protheans. Yeah. As you find out later, no, actually, the Protheans found it just like all the other races did. Uh, oh. And yeah, th- they didn't build nothing. They they had found it too. And it's you find out, you know, again, spoilers, that, yeah, they were built by the Reapers and specifically to help herd intelligent organic life to develop in a specific way to make it easier to harvest them at, you know, at the end of the every 10,000 year cycle. Oh yeah. Yeah. The Reapers. Yeah. Basically from what I read every so often they go through the galaxy and cull herds of races to knock them back down a few pegs Mm -hmm. to limit war and chaos. Well, specifically to keep, uh, intel, uh, intelligent machine life from becoming a threat which is the ironic bit is that they are intelligent machine life built to protect organics from intelligent machine life by killing the organics curing the disease by killing the patient nice yeah pretty much yeah yeah but you know that that is the thing is like i so again like depending if you're co- if you have your fringe worthy team coming in at in these early stages they'll probably easily think it's just another prophean ruin ruin that they just it 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 goes against the standard you know, construction parameters. Right, and that's the thing. They're going to realize it's like, okay, wait a minute, this 
this but doesn't then, yeah, later, even especially smell once, a Prothean. Yeah. Once the Reapers are, you know, knocking on the door, so to speak, and they start, and, you know, the, the information starts to spread, at least among scholarly circles, that, oh, no, the, 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 these mass relays are even older than the Protheans. Maybe this ring-shaped thing is older than them, too. Maybe it was some other ancient civilization that got cold. Yeah. No, they just stepped, they just saw the Reapers and said, nope, we're out of here, locked down the portal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> again, embracing, embracing their inner... You know, is it going to be a warp or is it going to be a ring station? What do you think? Well, again, that that's suiting the the needs of the GM. I mean, do you, you know, ring station would be well, it'd be a warp anyways. You know, unless it's out. I mean, if this thing is out in the open, the only way it could stay hidden is like, oh, it's in a cave somewhere on a colony world. You know, in Earth Alliance space. Then, yeah, I would say, yeah, I would say none of the 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 portals to earth like the prime earth or in the solar system would probably be ring stations i think they would all be warps uh probably buried somewhere yeah out in the colony worlds and the industrial outposts yeah you could make those ring stations and maybe just put them in out of the way places you know yeah because by the time because when the when this system was being built when this system was being added to the french path you know humanity didn't have faster than light travel so well yeah again as i said the 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 would have been as the need to hide them Right, the fringe paths were, and I love how Blix put it. Basically, it was a massive, a cosmically massive algorithm that just computed. Yeah, we're going to put these portals here and here and here. And so, yeah, between a hundred thousand and two hundred fifty thousand years ago. So, yeah, the Protheans weren't even probably around then. Because if the Protheans were around and you know milling around when humanity was still in the caves, that was what twenty about twenty thousand years ago, I think. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They actually, I would, I would not be surprised if some Protheans had found the term, the Termelon ring stations, and thought that yo, the sign of one of our previous civilizations, because they, they had, they, like I said, they also dug up remnants of the past and explored them and 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 used them. So you know, that's been a cycle all every time. Is you know, organic race or races conquer the galaxy, Reapers come along and wipe them out. Next generation comes along, finds their ruins, builds upon them. Yeah. Next Reapers come and wipe them out next year. It's, it's the yeah, and, and I and I remember reading here in this that they say that the Reapers did that every so often, and then the child races would mature. Reapers would come back, knock them out. The next child race would mature, lather, rinse, repeat. Yeah. It's, it's implied that this has been going on for, like, eons. Like, this has been going on for millions, if not well, at least a few million years. This, this kind of reaping every... 10,000 or so years. So that's a lot of races and a lot of civilizations and a lot of ruins scattered that are going to be peppered throughout the galaxy. So, yeah. Yeah. So just having another, you know, set of, you know, artifacts that don't have an immediate (laughs) explanation. Yeah. They're going to be. Yeah. Throw that file. The other ones. Yeah. Throw that file in the bin with the rest of them. Yeah. Okay. We assume it's Prothean, but you know, We'll figure it out later. You kind of ignored my question, uh, but so we'll just go the opposite direction for now and say, you know, we've been talking about the idea of adding Fringeworthy to uh, Mass Effect. Okay, for those who are not familiar with Mass Effect, what's so awesome about this game? Why do people... Why do people want to play it? Why is it considered one of the best RPGs? Uh, I think the biggest thing was um, the branching story paths. Um, from the the grand main storyline of the game has its moments where you can make a decision and that 
decision will affect the rest of the game and not just that game but the two sequel games as well so decisions you make in game one will have an effect of which characters are alive and able to interact with in games two and three Uh uh-huh um that was a big draw for me um but even then also the characterization they do real good job creating these not just individuals but also the the different species of the galaxy it they do a very good job of sort of this painting with a broad stroke of the the planet of hats. You know, every race, you know, seems to all be the exact same as far as temperament and personality. But then when you actually meet individuals and get to know them, you find out, oh, no, you're not like the others. And so as sort of at a first glance, it looks like it's, oh, it's just going to be every Turian is a, you know, military, you know, Roman-esque, you know, soldier or soldier wannabe until you actually play through the games and you meet numerous ones throughout the story. And it's like, Oh no, they all have their own individual personality quirks and traits. They just have this broad range that fits into what you would expect in a Roman civilization, Romanesque civilization. Outside of some cultural tropes that they all seem to follow mm-hmm. it, Each of these races, as far as I can see, seem fully fleshed out. Mm-hmm. It's you know so the G you know when you play the game you when you run into a Turian or a Krogan or uh, you know some of the other ones uh, you really feel like they're not the same as the others. No, yeah, you have you have sort of this, this sort of a, a foundation that you can start with, like you know Krogan, big brute, but that doesn't mean that this big this particular one you're running right at this moment can't love chess. Right. Well, but they're not just big brutes, okay? They come from a culture where they essentially, because they were so uh, fecund, produced children so rapidly, they essentially just, you know, mowed down their enemies by attrition. You know, they, they overwhelmed their their opponents. And then suddenly, recently, there's been a huge change where only a, one out of 10,000 of their offspring, you know, lives out of it and gets out of infancy. Yeah. So that's a huge, you know, change to their overall mindset. And and if you just looked at their history, you know, you might say these guys are just a bunch of, you know, homicidal brutes. But the fact is, is that they're very thoughtful and they've, you know, uh, they're, they, they don't go looking for fights anymore. Well, some do that, you know, make their livings as bounty hunters. But then that's the point. You know, it's it's not. It's not a broad, not everyone is the same. They all have their own individual. So you have like a a starting point. You can say, all right, this is sort of the generalized starting point, but let's, let's, you know, let we have room to make them individual and it not feel weird for the setting, which is one of the reasons it was an appealing game because it's, you can get, you know, you say, oh, there's a, you know, go talk to this Krogan. It's like, all right, you, as a player, you already have an idea of what general uh, traits you're going to be dealing with if you're talking to a Krogan. But then when you actually meet them, some of those, you know, ideas might be supported and then you'll find other ones that are like, oh, no, they're they're different from most of their friends in this and this and this aspect. This is one that likes to, you know, paint pictures with the blood of their enemies, which which, of course, they buy <laughs> from a from a wholesaler. <laughs> yeah. Is, is, is uh, where, where'd all that, where, you know, where'd all those blood donations go to? I don't know. We had a special buyer. <laughs> but look at my new art over here. Yeah. Ain't it lovely? Yeah. Yeah. I call it sunset in hell. <laughs> my mind immediately went to some unsavory things. So let me just <laughs> uh, back off of that. This is Bruce Sheffer saying 
There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.